the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. As we head into Hour 2, it is a privilege to bring back to our show our good friend, Congressman David Schweikert, who represents Arizona's 1st Congressional District, one of the few people who talk about uh, the economic and fiscal issues like growth and the costs and wages of inflation and everything else we're dealing with uh, economically. David, it's great to have you back. Yeah, Thanks for being with us. Basically, all the things that bore people to death. <laughs> well, but they shouldn't, and um, no, they can't. They shouldn't, but not if you're remember, not if you're being born, and not if you're retiring, right? Yeah. And look, you and I have talked about it. Is uh, uh, look, I'm not a big conspiratorial guy, but if there is a conspiracy in society. It's throw up lots of crazy, shiny, weird stories, objects, so Americans don't understand how bad, how difficult, how going off the rails our, our, our math is, our, our finances of our country, because a lot of these folks out there care more about their money than anything else. You know, they're, they're willing to say crazy things, this and that, and have you chase them around with that as long as you don't touch their money. So, yeah. Well, let's I'm start. Let's start on the retirement end. Right? Yeah, let's start on this. This is something you were talking uh, talking about. I think on Fox Business, uh, uh, retirees yeah. face seventeen thousand four hundred dollars cut to Social Security benefits in well, about a decade, huh? First, Seth, I, I got to ask you because you are my friend. Yes, Everyone sir. listening knows that. Yeah. Am I insane to talk about Social Security because, um, you know, the Democrats are going to spend probably a couple million dollars attacking me on television on, you know, David Schweiker talked about Social Security. But it's immoral, absolutely immoral what's going on. In eight, nine years, the trust fund is empty. Um, Meaning, if you're on Social Security nine years from now, you're going to get a 25% cut. And what Seth was just reading is an article I sent them saying, if you're part of an average married couple who's retired, you're getting a $17,000 cut that year. How come no one will talk about this? It's, it's like the president in the State of the Union made talking about saving Medicare, saving Social Security, toxic. Yet it's immoral not to fix it. I uh, I will answer you that I am glad you're talking about it, and I would ask you to lead other congressmen, other candidates for office seminars on how to talk about it, because you have to talk about it smartly. But I stand with Winston Churchill, who said, it's awfully hard to look up to someone when they have their ear to the ground, which is to say it's awfully hard to look up to someone and respect someone who dodges the tough issues just because they fear there will be political backlash. Go right to it, David Schweikert. Go oh, right to it. Well, as you know, I spent you know the previous couple of years before you know getting the chairmanship and of oversight and ways and means. Before that, I was the lead Republican on Social Security, yeah. and we worked our hearts out with Democrats to come up with something. Now they were Senate Democrats because that's where you could find some adults um, 
to try to come up with a plan. And, and then the president knifed us in his State of the Union address. And now if I walk in a room and start talking about how we're going to save Social Security, Medicare, I look up and the room's empty. I get they it. They run out the doors. I get it. Because it, the comment I get from my fellow Republican is the Democrats know you came in, they know you talked about Social Security, and therefore they're writing the attack ad in the next room over. Well, I think my response to that is, don't they know that there are Republicans who retire? Or don't they know there are independents who retire? And don't they know that there are Democrats who retire? And they all vote! But here's your problem, Seth. So many people have been lied to for so long. I know. I'll give you a simple example. And my math isn't all done yet. We we did a, a project yesterday with some of my um, joint economic economists. Yeah. And we were and, and it's a little hard because believe it or not the the math 10 years from now so you so you got to sort of what's the model look like in 2032 2033 but um, I did a, a presentation the other day on the shortfall coming in social security medicare this obviously very liberal woman got up yelled at me saying all you have to do is tax rich people People that are $400,000 and up have them pay the FICA tax on Social Security. And I finally had time to lay out, well, it turns out 2% of the population makes $400,000 and up. Okay. Annually, that would produce about $100 billion in new tax revenue, right. assuming you don't change the economics of how they um, get their income. Right. The shortfall in twenty. 20, or 32, 33, somewhere in there, is 25% of the Social Security fund. That's $660 billion. So all the tax revenues from the Democrat proposal is one-sixth of what covers the shortfall. Yeah. And I, I've shown that to a couple of people, and they just stare at you like, well, that can't be. Mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders told me all I had to do is tax rich people with the FICA, right. you know, lift the cap, and that takes care of it. Turns out that their math is crap. Yeah, yeah. What's that leave you with? What, up still 82% of the problem, right? Something like yeah, that? Well, yeah, fun, functioning half, and that's just that first year of the shortfall. Yeah. So I have a half a trillion shortfall, then added another $100, $200 billion each year because that's the growth of the participation in Social Security. Let's talk about the other side of growth, the issue of growth itself. I was reading something from uh, Steve Moore earlier today, and uh, he was pointing out stuff you and I have talked about before. Uh, we're, expect, uh, uh, we're worried on the national debt, which is about to accelerate from 100% of GDP to nearly 200% over the next 30 years, while the standard forecast from the CBO is predicated on the assumption of 1.7% annual economic growth. Mm-hmm. way below the kinds of growth we've seen, oh, I don't know, throughout the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and early aughts. Um, David, how, how are we ever going to get to 3.5%, 4% growth again? Um, not, not, by the way, the right answer, the first right answer, I think, you tell me if I'm wrong, is not doing what Bernie Sanders says. Yeah, yeah but you also need a radical, radical rethinking from a lot of the people around us and sort of go back to... Um, but whether you want to consider basic economics, supply side, things we learned, particularly during you know um, previous decades, we, we first have to be honest with each other. We have some great difficulties in the headwinds. We need economic growth at a time 
when we'd be starting out to try to change the growth pattern amounts of debt already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And our demographics, next year, 12,000 people a day turn 65. Yep, okay. So, um, you know, our, our, de- it's the, our demographics are tough. We already have lots of debt. So are we willing to do everything that maximizes economic growth? And that means a tax code that's fixated on growth. Yeah, good for you. Trade rules that are fixated on growth. Immigration rules that are fixated on growth, regulatory, and, and I know these are, but there's a lot of detail. We've, if you've ever watched one of my floor speeches, anyone out there, I mean, I've spent hours on the floor walking through details of what you could do in all these. Like in regulatory, mm-hmm. um, the current model is ridiculous. It's a 1938 model, fill out lots of paper, and then get sued by the trial lawyers instead of using technology as a way to make it light touch. And people who follow the rules get, get left alone. People who break the rules get caught. And you can do that, and the model actually says you'd have a lot more growth because you're not constantly filling out paper, worrying about the EPA or others to come in and regulate you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you do all these things, and then the hardest one, because there's a lot of money involved, and, and this upsets people when they, they don't understand how difficult time you have to adopt the technologies that change the price of delivering health care. Good. Good. Um, health care is consuming, is, is functionally consuming the economy, the yep. costs of it. And people keep turning to the financing. Well, I want Obamacare so I can be subsidized. That didn't change the price. That nope. just changed who subsidized That's right. the actual cost. That's right. Costs of which went and up. If, right. Costs and if you do those sort of five pillars, yeah. You can actually get amazing growth and stabilize the U.S. debt. I mean, I just did. If, if you have a geek out there that's listening right now, if you're someone that likes reading, go online, look for the Joint Economic Committee Publican Report. We just put it out uh, 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 this last week. Um, the third chapter in there, uh, I stepped on one of the rails that electrocutes Republicans. We talked about the economic side of diabetes and obesity oh, in good. America and, and how it's killing our brothers and sisters and also blowing up the debt. Say again where to get this, David. Um, it's called the Joint Economic Committee, yep. and, and the Democrats get to write their half, yep. and I'm this senior Republican. Right. We rotate the chair because it's a joint committee with the Senate. This year, Heinrich in the Senate has the chairmanship. I'm the vice chair. In the future, then I become the chair. He becomes the vice chair. You know, it's one of those things. Yeah, And then but the Republican side, we fixated on, here's the drivers of debt, and here's the solutions for growth. Fantastic. Fantastic. And now, it's, it's, I think, incredibly readable, but it is written by you know, a handful of economists. No, I'm going to get it out. I'm going to get it out. This is good. I'm glad you're doing it. I'm glad you did it. Thank you for that. Thank you for everything you do, David. Much appreciated, sir. Well, and we'll find out if... Um, how much money you spent attacking us? Yeah, we'll we find out if Winston Churchill was right. Problem. Yeah, <laughs> bet, bet with Churchill. It's a safe bet. David Schweikert, thank you, sir. I'm Seth Leaps, and we'll be right back. Are global leaders developing solutions that promote freedom and quality of life, or are they creating problems, enforcing solutions that only benefit the elite? 
Midas Gold Group believes it's the latter, from draconian COVID restrictions, the decimation of small businesses, and changed election laws, which may have led to a Biden presidency. Midas Gold Group believes your finances will be next. Under the guise of protecting you, you'll get monetary expansion, national debt, and reduced purchasing power, and their central bank digital currency will virtually eliminate your servings your savings and purchasing privacy. The answer, convert a portion of your savings or IRA to physical gold and silver. Precious metals are a private currency used to store wealth throughout history. Thousands of you have trusted the veterans at Midas Gold Group because they're fighting for your financial freedom and privacy. Call the Midas Gold Group today at 480-360-3000, 480-360-3000, or check them out online at MidasGoldGroup.com. The only precious metals dealer, Seb Gorka, I and thousands of you already know. Rick is in Phoenix. Hello, Rick. Hello there, Seth, my oh. Proverbs 17, verse 22 friend. Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. Uh, <laughs> Are you familiar with Proverbs 17, verse 22? I'm sure I have been. Um, I'm sure you've da- heard it. Young David, it says, is, young David is, is miming to me. Um, okay. And uh, I don't... I can't interpret what he's miming. He, he's, he looks like it an says, orangutan at the zoo right now. Yeah. It says, a cheerful heart yes. is good medicine. Oh, I like that. Yes. It's a, it's a wonderful verse. I and like that. So you and are a broken my... spirit desiccates the bones. That's true. Yeah. I, I try to avoid the latter part of that verse. Okay, good. Focus <laughs> on the positive, you get positive. Focus yeah. on the negative, so, you get negative. So I love that's it. why you're by Proverbs 17, verse 22, okay. friend. Okay, good. Good, good, yeah. good. So, right. okay, uh, here's the deal. Yeah. I, uh, I, I uh, was thinking recently, I, I remember... President Reagan's quote, I'm sure you're very familiar with this, that the closest thing to eternal life on Earth is a government program. Okay. Okay. Well, I think I found something else that might also be close to eternal life on Earth. Okay. Now, is Bill listening? Can Bill hear me? Bill can hear you, yes. Okay. Okay, good. Because what I was doing, I was gazing into my crystal ball... Yes. And I came to 100 years in the future. Yes. And there was a guy listening to his radio, and on the radio it said, portions of this program may be recorded. Yes. Perfect. He just gave me the fist. He just gave me the celebratory (laughs) fist. He was picking up what you were putting down. Shall I share (laughs) the audience what, what you're talking about in case they missed it? Well, yes. Go ahead. Bill taught me long ago that the phrase pre-recorded is nonsensical because everything is pre- – it's like preheated, also nonsensical, right? It's either right. recorded or it isn't. There's no pre-record. Pre-recording is what you do before you record it. <laughs> when else are you going to record it, Rick? It Afterward? Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's not post-recorded. Right. Right. Bam. That's why he says, and it's a little victory, every time it airs, portions of this show may have been recorded. Everyone else says pre-recorded. We're the only ones doing it rightly. Right. So a hundred years from now, that the closest thing to eternal life on Earth mm-hmm. will be Bill yeah. saying yeah. portions of this program may, have be, may be recorded. Exactly. 
So we, we, we're doing away with the phrase pre-recorded, preheating. What else are we doing away with, Bill? Uh, David, make sure we never lose that cut. Yeah. And what else are we doing away with, those redundant phrases? Yeah, we're doing away with re- wait up. Oh, yeah. We don't need wait yeah. up. We don't, know on, we don't need on a going forward basis. How about sit down? How about we sit about down? Much, but yeah. Yeah, sit we could down. save a lot of time if we eliminated a lot of these extensions that don't mean anything. You go, Bill. Yeah. You go. Yeah. Thanks, Rick. Hey, you Seth, go, too. I, I got a music question for you. Okay. Trivia. Uh, what was the song and who wrote the lyrics that said uh, he was on the floor he, he looked like a jigsaw puzzle with a couple of pieces missing. Uh, I can't do it. It's Is it a country song? Nope, nope. I can't do it. Okay. What is bad, it? bad Leroy Brown. Baddest man in the whole downtown. Badder than old King Kong. Yep. And meaner he, than a junkyard dog, Jim Croce. And, and he messed with a, a, a married woman yeah. uh, with a jealous husband, uh-huh. jealous husband, wailed on him, yeah. and when the fight was over, bad, bad Leroy Brown lay on the floor uh, looking like a jigsaw puzzle with a couple of pieces. No, I should have known it. I should have known it. I love Jim Croce. Died too soon. Died too young. I love yeah, Jim Croce. Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. Okay, I love you, brother. I there love was you, a lot Bill. in that call, Rick. Thank you. You bet. I enjoyed it. Have a good afternoon. Look forward to the rest of the show. Thanks, Rick. I was thinking uh, a little bit about what Rick was talking about regarding Ray. He used the, you know, Reagan, and then he talked about a uh, hundred years from now, crystal ball. I was thinking of the Reagan speech about the time capsule. Uh, it was it was one of his famous radio addresses, and of course, it was a big part of his nineteen. It was the main part of his 1976 convention speech. That was an impromptu, wasn't it, David? That was one of the great impromptu speeches. It was, speaking. It was often re- recited on his campaign trail. Yeah. But, you, but what you mentioned earlier was some of the best rhetoric of American uh, speeches comes from defeat. Yeah. And that was a defeat. That was Reagan. a defeat speech, yeah. too, wasn't it? That's a good point, David. Well done. You get an A today. Um Reagan in 1976 lost to Jerry Ford. Jerry Ford calls him up to the podium, and Reagan does his riff on a time capsule. And um, he says, um, "Those." It was about a letter he placed in a time capsule. And he said, "Those who read my letter, hundred years from now, will know whether the missiles, deadly missiles we have pointed at each other that could bring Armageddon to the world, will have been fired or not." And um, it's just. Uh, it's an amazing speech. I want to do the Nixon speech, though. I don't want to do the Reagan speech. I want to do the Nixon speech 49 years ago today. Can we do that when we come back? We will. We'll be right back. All right, stop it. That's enough. I'm having fun over now, here. Yeah, it's enough fun over there. Greatest our graver, campaign song ever? Our our. our our graver business frowns upon this levity. Uh, I, probably uh, Sinatra all the way with JFK Perhaps, or yeah. redoing the rubber tree plant song for JFK would be my guess just because it's Sinatra. Yeah. What were you going to say that was wrong? I said the name of that song, High Hopes. Oh, High Hopes. That's it. Yeah. The rubber tree plant song. Yes. High Hopes. High Hopes. What movie was that from? Oh, I don't know. A Hole in the Head. With Ed, Edward G. Robinson, yeah. Movie oh. with Frank Sinatra and Edward G. Robinson. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah, Edward G. Robinson. He he owns a hotel in Florida. 
uh, that's going bankrupt. There's a little boy he sings it with, and um, people don't realize it comes from a movie, just as people don't realize— I have heard the original recording, but I I didn't know it came from a movie and all that. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Yeah, people don't realize Que Sera Sera comes from The Man Who Knew Too Much. I knew that one. Doris Doris Day. Doris Day, and Jimmy Stewart. Mother Teresa said that a man is never so tall— as when he is on his knees. And um, that is to say kneeling in prayer, right? Did I fracture that inference? inference? Is that, did, 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 did the quote make sense on its own? Yeah. Uh, Never is a man so tall as when he is on his knees. And I think about that whenever I have cause to revisit Nixon's farewell speech to the White House staff. It's not his official resignation speech. It was the one he gave the next day, which was 49 years ago today. And I think it's important speech to understand so much of the um, human psychomachia, so much of politics. You can get it on YouTube. It's about 20 minutes long. It's extemporaneous, and uh, never was his soul so so borne out to the public as it was in this speech, as you will see if you do watch it. And as I said earlier, and as we were remarking, um, some of the greatest extemporaneous speeches are given in moments of loss, moments of tragedy. That's the Greek tragedy in the study of rhetoric. Uh, as young David pointed out, even Reagan's 1976 extemp speech could be categorized that way. But I wanted to play just a little bit of Nixon's speech um, and talk a little bit about it. It's, it. It was an important. There are important lessons in history, and what you get from it too is this ironic moment at the end where you realize he's talking to himself. He's giving a lesson that he wishes he would have learned, that he wouldn't be in this position if he were to have absorbed the lesson he's giving to the staff. You will see in the staff everyone famous from the Nixon administration. Um, And yeah, David, you had said some interesting things that Kissinger observed. What was it you said before that Kissinger said? He said, history will judge you well, and Nixon said to him, it depends who writes the history. That's so, exactly right. Something yep. like that. Apparently, according to Kissinger's memoirs, yeah. Nixon said that on the morning of his Yeah, adventure. Kissinger said some other interesting things about Nixon, and their relationship was highly intense and interesting in and of itself. Um, maybe he understood Nixon better than anyone. In retirement, uh, at one point, Nixon got lost trying to drive Kissinger to his home and um, uh, to his boyhood home. Sorry, to his boyhood home. He was trying to show Kissinger where he had grown up. And Kissinger took that as a metaphor for Richard Nixon, never quite knowing where he lived. I thought that was an interesting observation. He got lost on the way to finding his boyhood home, and Kissinger said it meant to him something about Nixon not quite ever knowing what he lived. There's also... Um, during Nixon's farewell address to the staff, Kissinger having said, uh, could you ever imagine what that man could have accomplished if he were ever truly loved? Um, Nixon was, as other biographers have said, a classic hater. He was a classic hater. So some people might say he was racist or bigoted on this, and it wasn't true. Um, I think that's a slur on him. But he was not a man of love, and he wasn't loved. And that's what Kissinger was getting at as well. Interesting that Kissinger would make those observations because Kissinger himself is such a cold person. You know, he doesn't view things 
through the moral lens. He views things through uh, gross, not gross, ugly, but gross, meaning writ large, gross, uh, gross, uh, real politique, uh, gross advantageous, disadvantageous, irrespective of any moral sense. So we'll pick up on this uh, just in just a moment when we come back. You've probably heard uh, some of our advertising that 960 The Patriot here is partnering with Focus on the Family for a two-day marriage conference. It's going to be on August 25th and 26th. It's going to be at the Central Christian Church in Gilbert. And we are giving away some exclusive VIP tickets for our Resist the Drift conference. That's what it's called, Resist the Drift. You and your spouse could be one of 10 lucky couples who get to attend the conference on the house, on us, and five couples will be invited to attend our pre-conference VIP meet-and-greet reception hosted by me. You and your spouse could have the special opportunity to meet speakers Greg and Aaron Smalley, including an intimate Q&A session with them and uh, delicious appetizers. In addition to all this, VIP ticket holders get reserved seating at the conference and a workbook to use during the weekend's four sessions of impactful teaching. So for a chance to win tickets and meet Greg and Aaron Smalley, go to 960thepatriot.com. And click on the event banner. And if you're not feeling lucky, you can always just buy the tickets, too, at 960thepatriot.com. So, yeah, I'll be there. And uh, young David will be there, too, won't you, David? Yes, I will. I don't go to an event that you don't go to, do I, anymore? And I don't go to an event that you don't go to. That's not true. Wait, really? That's not true. You do this ballroom dancing thing. That I don't go At to. nights, yeah, but that's not a night sixty the Patriot event. Well, okay, fair enough. It's not a sanctioned event. <laughs> it's not. Uh, it's not. Can I give uh, you a little of Nixon? Always. Well, no, not always. <laughs> Just this is. Um, it's a hell of a speech. Hell of a lesson. We think sometimes when things happen that don't go the right way. We think that when. You don't pass the bar exam the first time. I happened to, but I was just lucky. I mean, my writing was so poor, the bar examiner said, we just got to let the guy through. We think that when someone dear to us dies, we think that when we lose an election, we think that when we suffer a defeat, that all has ended. We think, as T.R. said, that the light had left his life forever. Not true. It's only a beginning, always. The young must know it. The old must know it. It must always sustain us because the greatness comes not when things go always good for you, but the greatness comes and you're really tested when you take some knocks, some disappointments, when sadness comes. Because only if you've been in the deepest valley can you ever know how magnificent it is to be on the highest mountain. And so I say to you on this occasion, we leave. We leave proud of 
the people who have stood by us and worked for us and served this country. We want you to be proud of what you've done. We want you to continue to serve in government if that is your wish. Always give your best. Never get discouraged. Never be petty. Always remember, others may hate you. But those who hate you don't win unless you hate them. And then you destroy yourself. That's really the lesson that he was giving to them that he should have given to himself and that he knows he didn't abide by. That, that, that's really one of the most interesting lines in rhetoric from a man who's conveying a lesson that he didn't himself learn. Others may hate you, but those who hate you don't win unless you hate them, and then you destroy yourself. They say hate and resentments are a pill that you swallow. Did you have something you wanted to say on this, David? I wanted to know who wrote it. He did, This was extemporaneous. This He did it himself. It's no, all no. Nixon? It's all Nixon. It's all Nixon, which is what makes it so darned interesting. Yeah, no, this was not a written speech. This was uh, him bearing his soul in the depths of his worst moment. And uh, if you watch the whole thing, um, for, uh, which you can on YouTube or whatever uh, platform you prefer, you'll see him crying at times uh, and fighting back tears at other times, particularly when he's talking about his dad and Teddy Roosevelt. Um, the story about his dad that he tells, we had occasion to use it in a monologue a couple weeks ago, talking about what it means to be a man and what the manly virtues are. Uh, what it means to be a common man. I think we were talking about that because Nixon speaks of his dad as the quintessential common man about whom no books will be written, about whom no statutes will be statues will be built, but who makes this country. You know, these were the same common people that he spoke of in his 1968 address when he was running for president at the convention and talking about, you know, the real Americans, the non-shouters, the ones who go to work every day and go to church on Sunday and just, you know, want to do nothing but live in peace and uh, be at peace. There were those continuous themes, kind of the arc of his whole political career in that 24, 23-minute speech he gives in his farewell to the, to the staff here. There's just a volume of learning in it, and I'm always struck by uh, that really uh, anti-penultimate line of his, others may hate you, but those who hate you don't win unless you hate them, and then you destroy yourself. My guess is that is something he took somewhere from his, uh, somewhere from his, um, his, uh, his faith, um, that he, you know, probably, again, didn't use enough, didn't rely upon, that's the better phrase, didn't rely upon enough is Quaker faith. It sounds very much like a Quaker teaching. It's a good teaching. You find it in a lot of uh, 12-step programs. You find it in a lot of recovery programs. You have to rid yourself of resentment or hate. It's self-destructive, and it is what was his undoing. As long as we're talking about Greek tragedy and rhetoric, know that that is the great classic idea of the foible, right? The one thing, the Achilles heel that everyone has. For him, it was hate, and he knew it, and it didn't occur to him in its at least full revealing of itself until his last day in the White House, an hour before he got on that helicopter and gave that famous 
wave goodbye. Um, interesting story, too, about how he resurrected his reputation over the years. And it brings on an interesting historical question that I always like to toy around with, which is, do you judge a man, do you judge a person, do you judge a public figure, particularly a politician, by what they do when they're in office and when they're running for office and when they're campaigning for office, or do you judge them when they no longer are doing so? Do you Who's who's the real person? Um, is Nixon who he was from nineteen what forty eight to nineteen seventy four, or was Nixon who he was from nineteen seventy four until when he died, which would have been what like nineteen ninety four or something like that ninety three ninety four? Um, and I have always deferred to the uh, answer that it's who they are when they're in office, when they're speaking on behalf of a platform that they want your vote on when they're seeking your votes and your donations and acting on them if elected. I've always felt that it's not in retirement that you judge someone, but what they do when they were seeking office, seeking power, seeking authority and exercising it. Anyway, I don't know, little American history there. We'll be right back. The economy, the bank failures, the stock market's volatility, the speculation of a recession still on the horizon, inflation certainly getting worse at the stores and gas pumps. But what if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed, any of that stuff? Why Refi has that? They have a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio at Y-Refi is offering. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm where you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. They're based here locally. I encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there. You won't get a sales pitch. No one's going to ask you to sign a thing. But when you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I trust them so much and you can too. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. The song we went out with, uh, David, um, the previous segment, Save the Last Dance for Me, that was uh, originally, I think, done by the Drifters, but the version we use is Tony Orlando's. Do you, mm-hmm. do you know the story of that song? Absolutely not, but I'm sure you're going to tell me. It's one of the most beautiful stories in the world. It's also probably one of the most covered songs in the world. Everyone and his uncle has done it. It was written by a guy named Doc Pomus. Do you know that name? I don't. Doc, Should I? No, yeah, you will. Uh, Doc Pomus, his brother is was for a time probably the most famous, still alive, one of the most famous divorce attorneys in America, Ralph Felder. People may remember seeing him on TV and stuff. He might be retired now. But his brother, Ralph Felder, was one of the most, at one point, famous divorce attorneys in America, handled a lot of big divorce cases. But Doc Pomus was a man, a songwriter, wrote a lot of great music. Uh, he wrote uh, Viva Las Vegas, uh, For uh, wrote a lot for Elvis. He wrote, um, oh, what else did he write? He wrote This Magic Moment, you know, that yes. song. He, he was a hell of a songwriter. Uh, Teenager in Love by Dion and the Belmonts. He was a um, uh, a sufferer. A treme- he was struck by tremendous muscular sclerosis, MS. Hmm. And 
his body was quite ravaged by it, and he was confined to a wheelchair and crutches. And what's the first thing you do after you get married? You have the first dance with your bride. He couldn't dance. He couldn't. So he had his brother, Ralph Felder, do the first dance with his bride, and he's sitting there watching them dance, and he writes out the lyrics, Save the Last Dance for Me. Isn't that a beautiful story? Yeah, that is pretty sweet. Yeah. That's, that's all I get out of that. That's pretty sweet. It's a beautiful story. It brings tears to one's eyes. It's lacrimal. You're lacrimal. We'll be right back. <laughs> Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flint with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com